Welcome back to the Revelation on Demand podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you revelation from the Bible. I'm your host, Justin D. Myers. Thank you for listening today. And today we are once again back here in Isaiah. It's nice to have you all here today. And uh, you know, something I was kind of thinking about this week that uh, I really want to get back to making sure that I'm mentioning things about spiritual reality and whatnot. I believe next episode in two weeks from today would be our Christmas episode. So that's a chance for us to go over the story of Jesus and uh, what's known as the nativity for those of you who are in the know. And that would be the story of him coming to this earth. And of course we're going to go over just that story and in general what that means to us as believers. So after that, starting into the next year, we will continue on in Isaiah. So this is the last Isaiah episode for 2023, or 2022, excuse me, getting ahead of myself. And then next year we will start back into Isaiah after our Christmas episode. And uh, like I said, I really, I'm really looking forward to getting further into Isaiah, because, I mean, a lot of this stuff that we're reading is just talking about the prophecy about Israel and how Israel will be overthrown, and it feels very repetitive at times, and it can be really, really dry and boring. I'm, I'm doing my best to point out the places where there's a lot of spiritual talk, and there's a lot of talk about angels and other lowercase g gods. I really want to focus on that more because that was the real impetus behind this podcast in the beginning was, you know, I don't feel like Christians really address the, the ultimate reality that's beyond just the physical reality that we face every day. I don't feel like Christians really uh, address that much. And in today's cultures or in today's culture where they're starting to practice more of the occult and pagan worship is something that's becoming prevalent again and they have answers to these things i think christians who have kind of become silent on this really aren't helping the cause anymore so in that spirit of talking more about spiritual things i i really feel like we need to get course corrected back towards that but of course that's going to be a lot easier when isaiah is talking more about the fantastical things that we've heard about in revelation and whatnot so uh, we'll just keep getting through this this part of Isaiah. It's a little bit dry, but it's all important. Like every word of scripture is important. So I feel like we have to go through this every every bit, even if it is kind of hard to do. It's one of those things. Uh, persistence is really important when you're you're pursuing anything in general. But just just being faithful, persistence isn't much needed. So. What were we talking about last episode in Isaiah 9? We were talking much about stuff that we're going to talk today again, where uh, it's talking about the invasion of, Assyria, of Israel by Assyria, and we're going to continue on in that today. And this is a much longer chapter, so there's a lot more detail about how, how Assyria is going to be taking over Israel. And, of course, this, as we talk today, is going to be because Assyria is a tool in the hands of God used to punish Israel for their their walking away from him. 
And as we talked last episode, God can remove his protection from those who do not follow him. And he's not obligated to protect those who do not do not do their best in serving him. So chapter 10 is continuing on where chapter 9 left off. And then he's still addressing Israel. And it's talking about this invasion of Assyria. So if we just jump right into scripture today. We start off with a small chunk here. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights, and withhold justice from oppressed, the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey, and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? Nothing will remain but to cringe among the captives or fall among the slain. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. So right there off the beginning where we're seeing this, that uh, God is not happy still with Israel and what they've done. Talking about how they've made unjust laws and they've deprived their poor, which is what we ended on last time talking about in Isaiah 9. And one thing that you need to keep in mind is that these chapters and verses are something that came on much later after scripture had been written and transcribed many times. So where we put chapter breaks and scripture verses and all this stuff kind of is not always the intended place of the people who wrote it. So as we can see here, Isaiah is kind of continuing on from chapter nine, right into chapter 10. It almost could feel like it's just part of the same uh, chunk of verses. So this could be a place where scholars have separated where the original document wouldn't have been a separation, would have continued on naturally flowing. Why do they do that, you may ask? Well, it makes it easier to transverse scripture. It makes it a lot easier to reference scripture. So sometimes these breaks, though arbitrary, they do try to make the most amount of sense. Uh, of course, you can, if you get any kind of good studies, you'll usually have something that kind of takes a chunk of scripture that makes sense together. So often this will go across chapter, you know, beginnings and ends. So if you have a good study, it can definitely take you through that and you'll see how it kind of continues to flow, even though there's this artificial break that we've put in there. And I think this is just one of those places where we see that very prominently that this could just be a continuation from the end of chapter nine. And it's very much in the same uh, vein of, of talking about the unjust laws and, and oppressing the, the weak and those who, who were, less likely to be or less likely to be able to oppress others for that matter. And of course, this could also just be that this, this book is bookended with that, where it's talking about how the unjust actions of Israel are what's to blame for what's going to happen to them. And this is talking about the injustices that we ended with in nine last time where it's the injustices that the rich are causing to the poor. And of course, this injustice falls heavily upon the leaders' heads because they've done nothing to prevent it. And even through all this, his anger is not turned away. We'll see this again and again, I think, in the next couple chapters where 
Isaiah describes why God's angry or why God's upset with Israel. And then yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. We'll hear this again and again. And this is just to remind the reader that, you know, God's seeing all this happening. God's upset with all this. So don't, don't think that God's turned a blind eye to this. And that's something that we kind of, we get kind of deistic these days, which is a form of Christianity where people just think God wound up the universe and then his hands off. He's not, you know, he might be watching, but he's not doing anything to interact with his creation. And I think this is really reminding readers again and again, where it's talking about God's still angry about this. God's still upset about this. He's going to do something about it and we're not going to like it basically. So these people are so unrepentant, God will not let what's coming to them come to them, or will let what's coming to them come to them, which, as we're going to continue talking about today, and they'll talk about a lot as we get into the end of the chapter, is Assyria. Assyria is the tool God chooses to to punish Israel for their lack of faith, and they will march straight up to the gates of Jerusalem, which would be the capital and lay them to siege for the fact that they have not been faithful to God. And this is something to keep in mind, that at this time, whenever there was victories in battle or something like that, it was often attributed to the superiority of one god over another. So this will keep the Assyrians, they will be getting big heads over this, basically. That As they march straight in Jerusalem, they'll say, hey, our god is much better than your god because we could conquer. And of course, as we'll see as this chapter goes on, this is only going to serve to upset God, but he is using them as a tool to punish Israel for their, their turning away from them and their sin. Terry, sorry if I sound stuffy or I'm sniffing during this podcast, by the way. Um, I think I'm coming down with something which really sucks because it's the end of my weekend. Uh, as much as I don't like being sick on my weekends off, Right now, here at the end of the year, when I have no more time off, it would be fine with being sick when I'm off, not having to go to work sick. Uh, don't worry. I, in a very isolated environment, I basically don't interact with very many people during the day. So even if I am sick, I can be isolated. So it's just, it's miserable to be working and having to function when you're not feeling well. Continuing on in verse 5. Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. I send him against a godless nation. I dispatch him against the people who anger me to seize loot and snatch and plunder, and to trample them down like mud in the streets. But it is not what his... That, excuse me, starting verse 7. But this is not what he intends. This is not what he has in mind. His purpose is to destroy to put an end to many nations. Are not my commanders all kings, he says? Has not Kalno Cal fared like Carchemish? Is not Hamath like Ar Arpad and Samaria like Damascus? As my hand seized the kingdoms of idols, kingdoms whose imagine images excelled those of Jerusalem and Samaria, Shall I not deal with Jerusalem and her images as I dealt with you, with Samaria and her idols? When the Lord has finished all his work against Mount Zion in Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty looks in his eyes. For he says, 
By the strength of my hand, I have done this. And by my wisdom, because I have understanding, I removed the boundaries of nations. I plundered their treasures. Like mighty one, I subdued their kings. As one reaches into a nest, so my hand reached for wealth of the nations. As people gathered abandoned eggs, so I gathered all the countries, not one flapping a wing or opened its mouth to chirp. So very much this is talking about that hubris that Assyria and their king has. Uh, and this is this is very much the hubris of their king that Isaiah doesn't like point out a name here. He doesn't drop a name here. And I think he intended, of course, his audience at the time would know what king he's talking about. But he also intended this to apply to other kings that identify in very much the same way as Assyria is right now, where it's this kind of God King who just kind of comes and takes whatever he wants. And as we see that, that is very upsetting to God, even though this is God using Assyria to teach Israel a lesson, basically he's not happy with Assyria. Like this is not him blessing Assyria. This is him not protecting Jerusalem. And in the beginning right now, it's talking about how, he sends Assyria against a godless nation. And that's pretty, pretty serious words for a nation that was built on being God's people, that they are being referred to as a godless nation. Like this, this kind of shows the extent that they have stopped trusting in God and they stopped following God and they stopped doing what God had told them to do is that they actually could be seen as a godless nation by God himself at this point. And we hear the Assyrian king, this nameless Assyrian king, talking in this chunk of scripture where he's talking about how he's taken over all these cities and he's taken over all these these gods and stuff like that. And he's just being very arrogant and talking about how he can just take whatever he wants. Like someone who's just raiding a wild nest for eggs, he can just, you know, take what he wants and nobody's going to stop him from doing that. So something that Assyria was pretty well known for was conquering other nations. And then the king of Assyria would make the kings of other nations their servants. So he was a very arrogant person and he could say, my servants themselves are even kings. Now, this would probably not be the people who directly serve him on a day-to-day -day basis. He's just talking about the fact that he has many kings underneath him so he has this grand empire where he is the supreme king over a bunch of other kings so this is just kind of one of those bragging points i think there was an assyrian king once who made slaves of the kings and would parade them out we've talked about that i think in in different chapters where there's a one king that would actually take the kings as slaves for his royal court and make them uh you know kind of be entertainment during his feasts and stuff like that so there's several cities mentioned here, and while if you're not very well and very well familiar with the Middle East and the cities in the Middle East, this could be kind of arbitrary on what it looks like. There's there are maps that kind of point out where these cities are, but anyways, these cities kind of work their way towards Israel from Assyria's conquered land, so it kind of draws this line towards Jerusalem kind of pointing, like an arrow pointing at the heart of the nation. 
And then the king even boasts of conquering these other nations between them and Israel, talking about how they were even more grand and important gods and deities than Israel's God, because they didn't really understand how Israel was trying to worship the you know, the king of kings, the biggest god there ever was. Like, not just a a king god like we see in Greek and Roman mythology where there's this god of gods sort of figure. And we'll see that Assyria actually serves a similar god, or at least the capital of Assyria does as a this, this king god. But we'll see that many of the nations don't understand that Israel is not worshipping that god. They're worshipping the one true god the one true God above them. As we've talked, these other lesser gods are most likely uh, angels or demons, as I like to call them, bringing that, that word up. These demons, who, which could be angels or demons for anyone who's new to our, our chapter, that or not to our chapter, to our podcast, excuse me. Anyone who's new to our podcast, demons are the spiritual beings, referring to them generically, not specifically making them out to be angels or devils or demons for that matter. And uh, because you can't always know the intentions of these spirits, whether they are good in nature and trying to serve God, or if they are fallen in nature and they're just trying to serve themselves and, and, and the devil. We see here that whatever these gods are that are leading Assyria are more likely the more malevolent type, more of the fallen type. These are probably demons they are worshiping and that are leading them to do these things, which is why they are just a tool. They are not given blessing from God in this in this matter. They are just the blessing is being removed from Israel, so to say, and Assyria is being allowed to do the things that they're going to do to Israel. And even though all this is going on where Assyria is going to be, you know, conquering Israel because of what because God has removed his protection, we still see that God is going to punish a, a Assyria and the king of Assyria for their the way that he's handling everything. How he's saying, you know, I'm uh, the king of Assyria is the one taking all the credit for him being able to come through. Instead of seeing himself as a tool for God to use, he is seeing himself as a, a arbiter of of you know his will basically, and he thinks himself a deity because of that, and. Judgment will come to Assyria, even though right now Assyria is being used as a weapon against Israel. Continuing on in verse 15, does the axe raise itself above the person who swings it? Will the saw boast against the one who uses it? As if a rod were to wield the person who lifts it up, or a club brandish the one who is not wood. Therefore the Lord Almighty will send a wasting disease upon his sturdy warriors, under his pomp, a fire will be kindled like a blazing flame. The light of Israel will become a fire, their holy one, a flame. In a single day, it will burn and consume his thorns and his briars. The splendor of his forests and fertile fields it will completely destroy. As when a sick person wastes away, and the remaining trees of his forests will be so few that a child could write them down. So here we, we hear the prophet talking about how God is not going to just let Assyria be the big bad bad kid on the block. That God will be coming back and giving Assyria the true judgment that they deserve. And of course, 
this is just further iterating this whole section is iterating how Assyria is a tool that thinks it can use itself, that it thinks it can, it's more, more important than the one who wields it. And that's why you get these kind of weird metaphors in the beginning where it's talking about like actual tools using themselves, which, uh, is, is something kind of funny to think about that God sees his people or the people on earth as tools for his youth. And now of course this doesn't mean he doesn't love us and, and that we're just objects of his manipulation. No, but it's, it's something else to think of yourself as a tool for God to use. And this is, this is very much where I, my faith sits a lot is that I, I really want to be used for God's plans. You know, I want to enact his plans. I want to help bring about the kingdom of God in whatever way possible. And that's why I do this podcast. You know, I really like to, serve God in a way that only I can, that, you know, he shaped me as a tool for his use. And I hope to be useful to God in whatever manner he, you know, designed me for. And this is, this is something that Assyria really does not understand. Assyria thinks that it's, you know, their gods are giving their victory and that their, their deity kind of their, their demigod king is able to, you know, write the course of history basically. And of course this is not the truth behind everything. Assyria is just being a useful pawn in this, in this kind of scenario where they're doing something for God that they don't even realize they're doing. So interesting historical note. It says in a single day, it'll burn and consume his thorns and briars where it's talking about, how in a single day the turn the tide the the, the uh, words the tides will turn on Assyria instead of them being the oppressors and everything their siege will break. In a historical note that um, was a king the king Sennacherib had Israel under siege around the time that just a little bit after the time that Isaiah was talking about all this going down and he left the siege in a single day just because he ran out of forces, ran out of money, something like that. Where, you know, in a single day, the Assyrian army completely left Jerusalem. And this could have been that, what it's talking about, where it's talking about in a single day, this this will come and turn on the Assyrians. So he's going to punish Assyria much in the same way he's using Assyria to punish uh, Israel, of course, with any big empire, it's probably far easier just to take out the few things that keep it standing strong and letting it topple over in its own weight, much like empires tend to do. So that's more than likely what caused Assyria to topple over and, and face the the wrath of God, basically. Uh, unlike there being a remnant of people, after Israel was destroyed, where there's a, pe a people left to build back God's people and become numerous again. Uh, it was talking about how there only being a few trees left standing in Assyria. So this is going from one of the most powerful nations at the time, one of the most powerful empires at the time. And it's going to be left a barren wasteland, basically, after God is done punishing them for their arrogance. Continuing on in verse 20. 
in that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Though your people be like the sand by the sea, Israel, only a remnant will return. Destruction has been decreed, overwhelming and righteous. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, will carry out the destruction decreed upon the whole land. Therefore, this is what the Lord, all, the Lord Almighty says, My people who live in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians who beat you with a rod and lift a club against you as Egypt did. Very soon my anger against you will end, and my wrath will be directed to their destruction. The Lord Almighty will lash them up with a whip, as when he struck down Midian at the rock of Oreb, and he will raise his staff over the waters, as he did in Egypt. In that day their burden will be lifted from your shoulders, their yoke from your neck. The yoke will be broken, because you have grown so fat. We can see that the remnant of Israel is being called from the house of David again to perfect that, to predict that, excuse me, house of Jacob, not house of David, to predict that, to, oh gosh, to protect that Jacob line, the line from Abraham all the way down through Jacob and David, eventually on to Jesus, that there will always be this unbroken line from Abraham to Jesus. And uh, this is talking about the remnant of the house of Jacob. And this remnant that Isaiah has been talking about in previous chapters is the same remnant that we've heard where there's always a small group of Israel that will be left to rebuild Israel and start the cycle anew. And Isaiah is really pointing out something that has become cyclical of the time where, you know, the people are with God and then they do something to stop serving God and they turn away from God and they start doing their own things. And of course, then this leads to God being angry and God giving them punishments and destroying them all but a remnant. And then at that point, that's when the people start to realize that they need God and they turn around and they serve God and they're allowed to prosper and build up and create many, many great things and become a great prosperous nation. Of course, it eventually leads to a point where they stop thinking of God for everything, that God has given them everything. And of course, we get back to the top of the cycle where God decides that they have sinned long enough and it's time to punish them. And of course, we get back to that cycle that we started describing at the very beginning. So, turning from that to our focus on Assyria a little bit. Assyria was this powerful nation on the Tigris River, and their heartland was completely surrounded by these mountain ranges and, and rough terrain. It just could be foothills on one side that uh, really protected the heart of this nation. So their kingdom, or excuse me, their capital and the main part of their kingdom was very physically fortified by nature. So this really gave them a strong place to work from where they could take over other countries and and have them at service to them to this heartland that was very well defended. And they served a pantheon of gods, which was known as the Mesopotamian religion. Uh, the Assyrian religion is another name it goes by sometimes. And they, the main part of this kingdom served 
or at least, you know, their capital served the chief god, lowercase g god, named Asher, which is A-S-H-U-R. There's not a whole lot of information on him on just a basic search, but Asher was this king deity of the city of Asher, which was the capital of Assyria. Again, uh, it's spelled differently, but very much the same word in English. And he served a kind of a king god role, as I talked earlier about how we get this, like the god king sort of narrative that we see in in other religions, where there's one lowercase g god that is above all the others because he's the king or the father or or some way is the leader of this group of gods, and we see that he this this Asher deity is that. It's that kind of role. And then last episode, we talked about the Battle of Midian and how the smaller force of Gideon had taken over a much larger force at Midian. And he's mentioning this again to provoke the imagery of a smaller force defeating a much larger and better equipped force because they believed in God and they trusted God. And he also reminds listeners at this time of Egypt, talking about how God can get them through even the worst of things. So even though Assyria is coming in and, and taking over and oppressing Israel in this way, he is kind of reminding them, you know, he did this in Egypt. He took you know, the, the group who became Israel out of Egypt and protected them through all that. And he can get them through this little empire taking them over. So finishing up with our last section, starting in verse 28, they enter Aeth, they pass through Migor, they store supplies in Michmash, they go over the pass and say, we will camp overnight in Geba. Ramah trembles, Gebeah of Saul flees, Cry out, daughter Gallum. Listen, Lelasha. Poor Anathoth. Madmena is in flight. The people of Gibam take cover. The day they will halt at Nob. They will shake their fists at the mount of daughter Zion, at the hill of Jerusalem. See the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. A tall, the tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty mud. So those those names I struggled to the, to pronounce a little bit here and there. These were again cities that were following an order from a place where Syria would enter the land of Israel to the very gates of Jerusalem kind of again drawing this line straight to the heart of Israel that Assyria would be able to come all the way up to the gates of Israel themselves and then it's talking about shaking their fists on the outside uh, at the daughter of Zion at the hill of Jerusalem and of course as we talked about earlier in the chapter you know this was probably where they would begin the siege of Jerusalem this would be where they were stopped and not allowed to continue going and then of course they end just outside because that's where the God has decided that they will stop. And then it turns where, you know, the Lord will lop off the boughs of great power and lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low and cut down the forests with an ax and Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. This is, this is pushing back. So probably in the next chapter, we'll see more of how 
God is pushing back and bringing Israel back to this place that they should be as his nation, as his people, and as they will be blessed once again. So God is talking about how his tool, Assyria, has overdone what they're supposed to do. So now they will receive the punishment that they deserve and the tides will turn and everyone will be pushed back into Assyria. And of course, as we know, Israel will become a nation of its own once again. So the takeaway for today, it may be hard to be faithful in a community or culture that does not place God first, but ever since there has been people, they have done they have had the choice to follow God or turn away from him. Stay strong in the face of a nation that may not be placing God in the correct place. Remember, God will reside in those who give their lives to him. And even if you end up going through hardship, then you will be rewarded in the end. Thank you for listening to the Revelation On Demand podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you catch podcasts from. Please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a fan, friend, family member, or someone from your church. It's a completely private venture and receive no funding from any sources. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact me at revelationondemand at gmail.com. God bless, and see you next time. Mm-hmm.